Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by praying together. Father, we thank you once again for gathering us together in freedom. We thank you most of all, though, for your son, Jesus Christ, who freed us from sin and death by dying on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit and your word. We ask this morning, Father, that you would have the Spirit guide and direct us as we listen to your word to help us to concentrate, help us to care for one another in all things now and through the days. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand and we'll sing our song this morning. Well, I didn't see anybody dancing on cue when we sang that song. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> all right. Before we get started, got a couple of announcements. Continue, please, to pray for Israel, in particular Jen's family and also the family of Laurie's friend. A schedule note, there will be no Thursday evening Bible study. Have these out of order. That's okay. There'll be no Thursday Bible study on Thursday, November 9th. Okay, so that's what? Three weeks from today? Two weeks from today? I mean, two, two Thursdays from now. Yeah. So again, no Bible study on Thursday, November 9th. Got some good news. You know, we have that emergency need, the healing hands of Christ home. Well, the woman who was ill um, has gotten a lot better. Yeah, yeah. I do want to thank everybody who's contributed to that already. Um, you can still do that because there's still a need. Um, we're going to receive the hospital bill soon, and um, we'll let you, more when we, let you know more when we do. Speaking of donations, I want to just let you know that we now are able to accept donations through Zelle. We had a request for that for those of you that use that. Um, you can go to our donations page and see that. Um, there is an address. I don't know how big it is. Probably should have put it out, put it separately on a slide, but it's pretty easy to remember. It's donations at lbible.org. Okay, for those who'd like to pay by Zelle. If you don't know what Zelle is, you can ask um, Lee in the back. He'll be able to explain it to you. <laughs> All right. Um, also, man, I have this totally out of order, but that's okay. It's easy to get to. This Thursday at our Bible study, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to have a discussion, question and answer period. Um, it's going to be both on our subject of Thursday's the book of Isaiah and the Gospel of John. Um, I think that uh, there have been enough things, particularly lately, that have been introduced that you may have questions on. Um, if you don't, that's fine. Um, it's best if you bring the question. Okay, In fact, it's really best if you let me know ahead of time because then I can prepare anything that might need preparing. It's possible. You know, I, I get questions sometimes where I'll have to say I'll get back to you on that. And I hope, you know, you understand that it's just so I get it right. We have one of those that came up last Thursday that I've been working on. So, again, this Thursday, our Bible study will be dedicated to a question and answer period on either questions on the Gospel of John or on the book of Isaiah. All right, let's begin this morning. Please turn in the Gospel of John to chapter 15, verse 1 to begin. John chapter 15, verse 1. I'll give you a moment to get there. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it, so that it may bear more fruit. You, and he taught Jesus talking to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, and they cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, 
and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. So after looking last week at the church and the uniqueness of the church and the mysteries that have been revealed, we're now going back to the Gospel of John chapter 15. And we're going to pick things up this morning. And let's begin again in verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. I am, this is the seventh and final I am statement that the Lord makes in the Gospel of John. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Now, we saw last time, two weeks ago, that it, Jesus is the true vine, and true is opposed to the faithless vine, the fruitless vine. And we saw that from passages in the Old Testament referring to Israel. So Israel was the vine in the Old Testament. It didn't produce the fruit that, that God wanted it to. So now the true vine is the Lord Jesus Christ, as we saw last time. Now, Jesus, in the first six verses, talks about vines and branches and fruit. And yet he's not addressing them about the subject of agriculture. He's using it. He uses facts about the natural world, the natural vine and branches, very familiar to his audience at the time. Not so familiar, perhaps, to us today. But in any event, he uses the picture of a natural vine and branches to illustrate spiritual principles. Now, it's possible, if you remember the path that they took from the upper room on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, that at some point they passed pretty near to the temple. And at that time, there was a very big vine that was part of the entranceway to the temple. So it's certainly possible that, that he saw that and then they saw it and he's using that illustration. But we don't know. That's just conjecture. In any event, he's taking facts about the natural, the natural vine and the natural branches to illustrate the spiritual, spiritual principles that he wants to get across to them. Namely, that just as a vine is, it bears fruit, so too are they as branches of the true vine designed to bear fruit after they are born again. So that's what he's doing here. And um, the vine, if you Again, the natural vine has one purpose, and that is to produce grapes. That's that's it. Say one purpose. After salvation, we have one purpose, and that is to glorify the Father through producing fruit. We're going to take a look this morning through this passage at what it is that He means by fruit, because He doesn't come right out and say it. But we'll see we'll see that in in a little while. And if you think about it, if there's a branch naturally that doesn't produce grapes, as Jesus is going to talk about, it's going to be pruned. And, 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 and if it doesn't, if it continues not to, it's going to be cut off. Only fit to be burned, as Jesus says. In the same way, it's absolutely vital that the believer produces the fruit that the Father expects. And that's true of us. He does expect believers to produce fruit just like he expected that the disciples were going to produce fruit. Their fruit, perhaps, was different than ours. We're going to see at the end, we're going to go back again to the church epistles and see a little bit about what it has to say about the production of our our branch. We'll see that at the end. So, how does that happen? Well, Jesus wants them to understand something. They can't bear spiritual fruit unless they abide in him, unless they abide in him, and he abides in them. That word is used, that word abide, is used ten times in the first ten verses here in chapter chapter 15. It's 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 an essential part of this, and yet it's a general statement, and we're going to have to look at the meaning of that word in the Greek to, to draw out more about the meaning. We're going to see there's a basic general meaning, And then there's a specific meaning that depends on the context in which it's used. We've seen that very often with different Greek words. We'll see that again today. 
So again, Jesus is teaching. This is the main point that he's teaching here in the first 11 verses, that they can't bear spiritual fruit. They're designed to, but they can't bear it unless they abide in him, and he in turn abides in them. Again, general statement, okay, but he's going to define this further. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We're going to see it again this morning. He's going to define what it means to abide in him, and he's going to define what it means that he abides in them. So it's a mutual abiding, if it were. We're, we're to abide in him. He's to abide in us. Now, this, the, the theme of last week was that the, there's a difference between how that works for the church-age believer who's a member of the body and how it would be working with the disciples in the time of Jesus' um, ministry on earth. But, but in any event, there are a lot of principles that are the same, and we're going to look at those first and then at the end bring those over to the church by going into a couple of passages in the epistles of Paul. So again, this Greek word for abide, we're now going to look at it. Found 10 times in John chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. That's a lot. That's a lot of times, um, an average of one per verse. So let's take a look now at this word. Well, the Greek word is meno. Okay, That's the root word anyway, M-E-N-O. And remember, I mentioned this a minute ago, there's a general meaning, all right, a basic meaning, just like, we, like you can take the word baptize, okay, and it has a general meaning of something that is entered into and permanently identified with something. And then, but that word, as it were, gets transformed, that meaning gets transformed in the, in the epistles of Paul where it talks about, the, where he talks about the believer being entered into and permanently identified with Christ. So there again, there's a physical general meaning and then there's a specific spiritual meaning that gets ported over and, and defines and develops that word for us in terms of the spirituality that we are living in. Now, what about this word? Well, the basic meaning, the general meaning, is simply to stay or to remain. That's the basic meaning, to stay or to remain. Now, commonly at the time, was used to mean stay in a home. Right? So, so again, the sort of literal meaning of this is to stay somewhere. Right to continue to remain somewhere. Look at John chapter 4, verse 40. This is an example of where meno is used in its very basic, general way. And again, this is not a spiritual principle yet. This is simply saying that somebody is going to remain somewhere, is going to stay somewhere, is going to dwell or take up residence somewhere, literally, and in John 4.40, we see that literal, natural meaning. Look at it with me, please. John 4.40. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with him, with them, and he stayed there two days. The word stay is the Greek word meno. In context, Jesus has met the Samaritan woman at the well, and he had said things that she couldn't believe and they were true. And then she went back up to the hill where the, where, the, where the Samaritans lived in that village, told them about Jesus. They came down the hill and they realized who he was and they asked him, please stay with us. And he did. He stayed with them for two days. And that's the, that's the natural meaning. Okay? That's nothing, there's nothing particularly spiritual about staying with people for two days. Okay. So that's the first way in which this word is used in the Gospel of John and in the writings of John as well. He uses it far more um, than any other writer in the New Testament, far more frequently. Okay. Now, second meaning is to remain with somebody, not a place, but somebody, or to be united with someone. And, of course, that united with someone starts to get into the spiritual side of things. Okay, because we are united with Christ. When, when he says, abide in me, he's saying, be united with me. Okay, that's the meaning with which, um, that in our passage this morning, it's used to remain with a person or to be united with someone. So a relationship, there's an abiding in a relationship. There's remaining in a relationship. There's staying with it in a relationship with somebody else. Please turn to the letter of 1 John. Again, continuing in the writings of John, look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15. 
where meno is used here in the sense of remaining with someone, being united with someone. Uh, let's take a look at it. First John chapter 4, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. There's that meno now, but clearly in a spiritual application with God abiding in him and he in God. Of course, that's very similar to what we have in John 15, where he says, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Only it's reverse. Here he talks about God abiding in, in this person first and then that person in God second. Now, I want you to look at the first part of verse 15 with me now. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God. Who confesses that Jesus is the Son of God? Does the unbeliever do that? Would a Muslim confess that, for example? Absolutely not. I hope you can see that this describes a believer. And by the way, simply a believer. Okay, It just means somebody believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a believer. What does he say here about a believer? Okay, This is a statement of fact. God abides in him and he in God. I say it's a statement of fact because sometimes when the word abide is used, it simply states something that is, right? This person is remaining with somebody else, staying, persevering, has a relationship that is, in a sense, permanent. Other times, it's used conditionally. I like it like it seems to be in our passage this morning. When he talks about if anyone abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Okay, But again, here is simply a statement of fact saying, if you are a believer, you, God will abide in you and you will abide in God. But again, the principle of how it's used means to remain with somebody or be united with somebody. And that's what we have here. Here we have, him, we have God remaining in us and we are remaining in God. Now, there's a third way in which this word meno is used in the writings of John, and it means to continue in something. Okay, continue in something. So we have the basic meaning of staying somewhere, remaining, for example, in a home, dwelling or residing there. We have the spiritual meaning of, be, meaning of being united with somebody. And here, this is talking about to continue in something, to remain steadfast, to persevere. So this is a, yet another way in which this word is used. And now it's talking about, in a sense, having our will involved, right, or it could be just a description that the believer will continue, you know, like, like we do know, for example, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So the Holy Spirit perseveres in having us conform to the image of Jesus Christ. And we, knew we are asked to do the same. We are, we are asked to remain steadfast, remain steadfast in our faith, persevere under trial and so forth. Remain, meno. By the way, uh, a word that's derived from meno, okay, it means to, and it's sometimes translated as patience or hoopa meno, and that just means to remain somewhere under pressure, right? Something is pressing you down and you're remaining there, okay? So that's another sense in which meno is used in the writings of John. I'd like you to just, just look at the very next verse in our passage, 1 John chapter 4. Just look at verse 16 now, and we'll see that that's how this is used. We have come to know and have believed. Notice that come to know part, right? That means a process. That means persevering, remaining steadfast. That's how you come to know something. You're in a relationship. You're growing in the truth of the word of God, and you come to know and believe what? The love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love, and here we have it again, abides in God, and God abides in him. It's interesting here that that word is used three times, and it's in a slightly different way. Kind of looking at the the second and the third, we have pretty much the same thing that we saw in verse 15, don't we? He who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Again, this is very similar to the command, the statement that Jesus is making in our passage this morning. Abide in me and I in you. Those are the second and third uses in this verse of meno. But the first one is slightly different. You see, he who abides in love. When we get to that statement, 
we start, we get, we enter into it in terms of our, if I could use this word, activity, or at least our faith. You see, the way that we remain in, in the love of God, remain steadfast, persevere, have it grow in our understanding, is by continuing in the word of God, and also continuing to be, as it were, in the sphere of his love on a daily basis. So there's a process, there's a life that is here of hearing the word of God, applying it, keeping the obedience to those commands in the, in the New Testament epistles in particular, and that's how you grow in the love of God. So that's, that's, that's a third use. Now it also, it turns sort of on its head to a similar thing, but now rather than us remaining in something, Meno is sometimes used to mean something that remains in us. For example, the Word of God. The Word of God. And to, to see that, I'd like you to turn. Stay, we're in, continuing at First John, but go back to chapter 2, verse 19. Something remaining, staying, being steadfast in us. First John 2, 9. As for you... Let that abide in you. Okay, now there's something that's abiding, remaining, steadfast in us. What is it? We'll see in a second. But it's something that we hear. Again, as for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. Now this is talking... Yes, Mark? I don't know. What does it say? Oh, okay. Can you see... As for you, let it abide in you, which you heard from... I'm getting old. Let me find the right passage here. Twenty-four? Okay, thank you, Aaron. I was close. Come on, just five verses off, right? First John 2, 24. Thank you. As for you... Let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. So there's something that we let abide in us. By the way, that's the passive, sometimes the middle, something that's done to us, right? Something will abide in us, which we heard from the beginning. Now, if you think about, here we have um, believers in a particular congregation. It was a congregation that, that John had come to and nurtured and built up, but then Remember the context now, that now there were false teachers that had come in. And they were trying to pervert the gospel. They were trying to turn that around. And, um, for example, they said that we never sin, right? Which is, of course, a perversion of the gospel. So what you heard from the beginning here is simply the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let that abide in you, that you, what you heard from the beginning. And if what you heard from the beginning remains in you, if, if, it, if, it, if it's something that is kept in you, abide in you, the gospel, which means more now than just hearing it and believing it for salvation, but returning to it on a, t- on a regular basis, like we do in the Lord's Supper. We return to it. Like, and, and I've mentioned this before, you can take really the, the subject of the of different epistles and see that it's all grounded. We never move, in a sense, beyond the ground of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by continuing God's word, continuing to see different passages where that's used and applied in different ways, that's how we abide in the gospel. Let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning, the gospel, abides in you, dwells in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. Okay, so we've seen the, about four different uses of this word in the writings of John. With that, let's return to our passage, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 12. What I'd like to do now is, kind of, is give you a map of this, of this passage that we're looking at. John chapter 15, 1 to 12. You can turn there again. But again, I'm just going to give you a map. We're not going to look right now at a, sort of a verse by verse. We're just going to look at the big picture. All right. Here's the big picture. The first six verses are where Jesus refers to the natural vine and its branches. So if you take a look at that, in verse 1, he talks about he being the true vine and my father the vine dresser. 
But of course, it's not talking about a literal vine. It's talking of a spiritual principle that Jesus is the true vine that's going to produce what the Father designed and expected. And of course, he's going to produce it through us. Okay, And my Father is the vine dresser. What that means is that as, as, the, as the vine and the branches grow and are pruned, the Father is caring for and, 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 and providing for both the vine and the branches. So there it is, the vine and the vine dresser. Again, related to a reference to a natural vine and its branches. All right. Verse 2, we see it again. Every branch that does not bear fruit. Now we have branches and fruit. And then, in, and then pruning. Again, that's a description of what a vine dresser would do. Okay, verse 4, he talks about the branch bearing cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine. So once again, he's using the natural um, parable, if you want to think of it that way, looking at a vine and branches, describing aspects of the physical vine. And then he's going to, of course, teach the spiritual principles. We see the same thing in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. And then in verse 6, if you, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. So in verses 1 to 6, we find these references to both the natural vine and its branches. And I could add fruit as well. Now, but what's happening in these first six verses is this. He's starting with the description of the vine and the branches. And then what he's doing is where you see he's kind of intertwining spiritual principles, teaching on fruit bearing. Okay. And and he does that again. For example, look at verse four again. John 15, verse four. He'll say something about the vine. And then he'll turn and talk about a spiritual principle, the teaching that he's trying to get across. This wasn't an example of Jesus teaching agriculture. Okay, This is an example of spiritual principles. Look at John 15, 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. There's the natural, right? He's saying, um, he's saying this is true in the natural world. The branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. The source of everything. I mean, a branch in and of itself is just a hollow tube, not capable of anything. It's only what the vine provides that comes coursing through the veins, as it were, of the, of the branch that produces anything, produces the fruit. And that's what he's trying to get across. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, and then let me port that over, so neither can you unless you abide in me. So he's putting a picture in their head, and that's a that's sort of a teaching and a memory device, right? My relationship with the Lord is this, is similar to, obviously not the same, similar to a vine and the branch. So he's intertwining references to the natural and the spiritual. Now that's verses 1 to 6. But from verse 7 on, you no longer see the natural vine and the natural branches. He set that picture in their head and our head, and then he just continues to go with, with, with spiritual fruitfulness, teachings about spiritual fruitfulness. And that's what, again, we're going to see, by the way, that not only does that continue in verses 7 to 12, but it continues even more in verses 13 to verse 17. So again, 1 to 6, references to the natural vine intertwined with disciples bearing fruit, the teaching. All right. So let's continue now with our high-level look at this passage. Look at verse 2 now. John 15, verse 2. John 15, verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You, these are the disciples now, are already clean. In a sense, they've been pruned. Okay, They have been pruned. Why? Because of the word which I have spoken to you. By the way, that gives you a a hint as to the methods that the Father uses as the vine dresser in our lives. One of the ways in which, as it were, he prunes us is through the word of God. The word of God corrects errors in thinking. 
the word of God sometimes rebukes and chastises. And as it were, in so doing, sort of gets rid of the dead wood, the, the wrong thinking that we have, and leaves what he's been putting in us, as it were. Like the vine puts in the nutrients and the water and everything that's needed for the branch to bear fruit. All right, again, every branch in me that does not bear fruit. When he says every branch in me in verse 2, what he's really describing is somebody who can be physically close to him. And again, he's talking to disciples when he's here on earth, okay? And he's saying, there was, there was one of you in particular, okay, that you were, you were in the crew, you were with us, right, physically, and, but you were, just, you were just pretending. Now, who am I talking about? Judas, right? Judas was one who was, was with Christ in, in the, the, the uh, group of the apostles, the disciples, but never bore any fruit. Okay, so he's that's an example. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. This is the father, right? Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Now, then in verse three, we get a description of some branches that do bear fruit and that the father prunes. And of course, that's the you in verse three, talking to the eleven. Okay, by extension, believing disciples generally, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, in verses 2 and 3, okay, then, what Jesus is really doing is contrasting a believer with an unbeliever. Unbeliever does not bear fruit, takes away. Believer bears fruit and is pruned, so it may bear more. Let me caution you. This is not saying that, you can, that this is a test of whether somebody's a believer. That's going too far and putting in this something that it doesn't say. Okay? It simply means that, that believers in Christ, by the way, we're going to see this in a little while, one of the fruits that he's talking about here is simply having the word of God in us. And, and as little as perhaps a believer may have at the beginning, he has one thing, and that is the gospel in them. Otherwise, they're not a believer. Right? How, do you be, how do you, as it were, become a believer? You hear the truth of the gospel, what the Father has revealed about his son's death and resurrection, and you believe it. And by believing it now, it dwells in you. It's truth that you've heard and believed. So no matter how you slice it, believers at least bear some fruit. Not the kind necessarily that sort of the Calvinists say they're observing and therefore that, that tells us you're a believer. Not saying to somebody, you have to bear particular fruit or you're not a believer. Right? I've, I've heard those who that, that, that uh, conform to that false teaching say, well, you know what? If they're not going to church on a regular basis, they're not a believer. Well, that's, that is totally not in keeping with what he means by bearing fruit. And the point is, is that the things that we may come up with as our own interpretation are usually not it at all, right? There are some people that will say, hey, you know what? I see this and that, and they're very active, and they're, and they're giving money, and they're evangelizing, okay? Then I see this one over here. I don't see any of that, right? And so an arrogant person would take a scripture like we have now and say, aha, they're not a believer, but what they may not know is that this person has the gift of prayer and lots of fruit in the prayer life, okay? But not observable, right? If somebody is just, as Jesus says, going to their room and praying and continuing to hear the word of God, there's a lot of fruit there. But it's not obvious externally, necessarily. Okay. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, unbeliever, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, believer, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. And verse 3 identifies the fruit bearers. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. So here we are again. He uses the, the figure, the image of the branch and the vine. Basically what he's saying in the, in the picture is that if you look at a branch and it's alive, right? It's green, if I could put it very simply, okay? And it shares the same life as the vine does. That's a believer. Other branches, dead. Dead wood. Unbeliever. Or very simply, a, a branch that doesn't bear fruit is an unbeliever. In his analogy, okay? In his analogy here. 
Not, so again, we can't, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, don't go beyond what Jesus is saying, right? And try to say, aha, I'm going to insert my understanding of what that has to be, right? When you do that, 95% of the time, you're going to be wrong if you go beyond what the actual passage says. You have to stay there, okay? I mentioned that last time um, in connection with another passage. In fact, we're going to go that, to that passage right now. So a branch that doesn't bear fruit here in this illustration is the unbeliever. Now, it's also likely, look at verse 6, John chapter 15, verse 6. It's very likely, I put it that way, because you can't be 100% on this particular one because it's an analogy. But it certainly has a lot in common with verse 2. Look at verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. So verse 6 is talking about a person who does not abide in Christ. By the way, some translations use the past tense as we continue. Some translations say, if anyone does not abide in me, he was thrown outside as a, as a branch, was caused to wither. Past tense. Now, you might say, why does it say that? Well, because he's describing the situation of an unbeliever. And he's, and he's saying that, you know, when you have had a branch that never bore fruit, then eventually that one will be gathered up and cast into the fire. And, it's, and so he's describing a general principle, and he's talking about what, what ends up happening. Okay. Now, when he says a person does not abide in Christ, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, now this part where he says they gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned, that is all the analogy. That is all the picture. Because that, in fact, would what would be done if you had a vine dresser, and he's, and he's taking care of the vine, he wants it to be healthy. If he finds dead wood, he's going to remove it, and it's going to dry up, and then they're going to gather it, and they're going to get rid of it. But again, and I cautioned you this a couple of weeks ago, don't try to put into this you know, theological con- concepts, concepts that Jesus never states. For example, there are some that will say, aha, that fire is the lake of fire. Well, you know, it, I don't think that necessarily is what he meant at all. I don't know, but he doesn't say it. Right? So we need to leave it. Okay, there's an analogy here. He's talking about bad things that happen to anyone who does not abide in Christ. But we leave it there. By the way, this person that not abiding in me, if you look at the construction of the, of the Greek here, you conclude that what it's saying is that there's such a person never abided in Christ. Never did. So again, it's talking about the, the unbeliever. This, this is somebody who not once ever abided in Christ. On the other hand, a branch that bears fruit is a believer. So in verses 2 and 3, he's simply contrasting the believer with the unbeliever. Okay, so let's step back for a minute and think about the relationship a little bit more between the vine and the branches. Now, if you look at a natural vine, it turns out that, by the way, the branch is not only nothing without the vine, it, it, it could, it's really just a part of the vine. Right? The vine is the whole thing, and the branch is just a part of it. Now, the branch, in order to bear fruit, requires to be supplied by the vine and supplied everything by the vine. So the life, the life that they share came from the vine. Again, the water and the nutrients come from the vine. The formula for producing grapes, if I could put it that way, comes from the vine. By itself, a branch is nothing more than a hollow tube. It's what flows through it that matters. So true with us. So true with the disciples. Okay? All we are is a tube, a means of conveyance for, for Jesus Christ to pour through us and grow fruit. And we're going to see what that fruit is in just a little while. So it's a humbling statement. But it's also a great statement. Okay, so sure, you're just a hollow tube, but you're in Christ. And so, and so you have a great blessing about just where you are, right? And, and, and if we think about that, that, that word abiding, remaining, 
It's saying, think about a branch. Just remain in the vine. So, you know, if you think about how tough is it for a branch to remain in the vine? Not that tough, right? That's who you are. You're in a, you're, that's all you are, is, is part of the vine. So you just, just remain in that. Now, with us, of course, we are, we are um, commanded, if as it were, to continue to have the word of God abiding in us, as we're going to see in a minute, and, the, and us living in the sphere of the love of God. And so that's the formula, as it were, that God uses to produce the spiritual fruit. Continuing now, in verses 4 to 10, this is an exhortation, right? This is Jesus now saying, I'm exhorting you to abide in me, to remain in me, to dwell in me, to have, have me as, as your home, as it were. And if you do that, you'll bear fruit. So that's what verses 4 and 10 are all about. So verses 2 and 3, separate the believer from the unbeliever. Verses 4 to 10 are addressed simply to the believer themselves. Looking at this at a high level. So look at, look at verses 4 to 10. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. The teaching is abide in me and I in you. All right? That's how you bear fruit. Verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you're just a hollow tube. You can do nothing. Right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And again, there's an there's a application of that in the church age. Right? Where it says we're a member of the body of Christ. And so we, without Christ, without the Holy Spirit acting in our lives, can't do anything either. On the one hand, that's humbling. On the other hand, it takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? It just says that you just remain there. Don't don't try to go outside of who God has made you to be. Just be who he's made you to be and then allow that work to continue. Okay, now that's verse that's verse six. Notice verse I mean five. Verse six we've seen already. Anyone who does not abide in me is thrown away as a branch. Verse seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. So again, he's continuing with the very simple principle of abiding in him and then him abiding in them. But again, that's a very general statement, right? It just means remain in me and I remain in you. What he's going to do next, and he's doing this in verse 7, is he's now going to explain more about what he means that he abides in them. Notice, if you abide in me, and what? My words abide in you. Can you see that? he's, He's saying, listen, when I said that I'm going to abide in you, what I'm talking about is that my words will abide in you. Now, see, what the, that, that goes from a sort of mysterious statement that you can misunderstand and that people have put all kinds of things in, right, to something that's clear, which is, which is so he's kind of bringing them along. Here's the general point. You're, I'm abiding in you. And then he says, this is what I'm talking about. My word abides in you. And now we can see how that works, right? How does the word of God dwell in us deeply? By us continuing to hear it. And by having the Holy Spirit work on our hearts so we can't forget it. That's what he's talking about by I'll abide in you. Verse 8. My Father is glorified. Verse, let me continue verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By the way, what is that? That's answered prayer. We saw that in chapter 14. We're going to see it again in chapter 16. It's important. And now again, we'll see this. He's also defining fruit here. We'll, we'll go back to that. But again, he's saying, when I say that I'm abiding in you, I'm talking about my words abiding in you. Verse 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And I, In other words, God is on our side. And he's an optimist. He's saying the whole idea is to bear fruit. And I'm going to do everything, the Father says, that's necessary. All you have to do is remain. All you have to do is allow the word of God to continue to dwell in your hearts. And as we're going to see in a minute, have, have your life lived in the sphere of God's love, which is the other half of this. 
And my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Verse 9. Just as the father has loved me, and think about what we've seen about how much the father loves Jesus, who was always obedient to him, for example. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. And there it is, that word abide again. Only now, another specific statement. That explains what does it mean that we, that, that, that we abide in him. What does that mean? We remain in him. We dwell in him. We reside. Well, here he tells us what that is. He says, I'm talking about my love. You are to remain in my love. That you, you are to have dwell your home. Make your home my love for you. That's what he means by abiding in me. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. We've seen that before, that the sort of operational way in which this continues to work is why we, we, we keep his commandments. For example, here he's going to say, he's going to define what, that, what the key commandment is. He's going to take, saying, here's all my commandments. I'm going to boil it down to one. And it's going to be simple again. Okay, well, I'm leave you in suspense for a moment. Those of you who read the passage know exactly what that is. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11. Now, what's verse 11? We saw this before. Well, it's sort of a wrapping things up. It's sort of a conclusion. Notice what he says. These things I have spoken to you. In other words, everything that he said so far. I've spoken to you. I've said, abide in my love. My words abide in you. And here's the punchline, if I could put it that way. Here's the outcome. Here's the thing I want to leave you with on this subject. These things I've spoken to you so that, for the purpose that, my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be made full. In other words, in verse 11, Jesus reveals the purpose behind the whole teaching in verses 1 to 10. Joy. That, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That's the purpose. Okay, so by the way, one of the things that that tells us is that we have to see all of verses 1 to 10, right, through the lens, as it were, of verse 11. Now, you might say, well, what's John doing? Why didn't he tell us that in the beginning? Well, I don't know, but John is famous for that. He'll, like, for example, in the whole gospel, he's going to turn around at the end and say, you know what? Many more things, the signs the Lord gave, but these have been given, right? So that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing you may have life in his name. But that's, that's sort of the outcome. That's the conclusion. That's sort of, the, I'm going to sum up the whole thing in that one statement. And again, you might say, well, why didn't he say that at the beginning? <laughs> but the reason is, is because if it's a summing up, you first have to see what, he's, what it is that he's summing up. Same thing here. He brings us through this illustration of the vine and the branches in order that he says, now here's where we end up. You know, the Father is glorified when you bear much fruit and he's glorified when the joy of Christ is in us and that we are full of joy, fullness. That's, that is, by the way, something that gets repeated again and again and again in the epistles, particularly, by the way, in the, in the, in the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Right? Fullness. That's the idea. We are, by the way, and here we go back to the body of Christ, we are the fullness of Christ in this world. That's who we are as believers in Christ, as a body of believers. That's the fullness right there. All the members of the body working together are the fullness of Christ. We are the, as it were, the way in which Christ is manifesting himself, doing his work. The work that, that Jesus is doing now, the greater works, as he referred to, is done through the church, the body of Christ. All right. Now let's go back to John chapter 5, 15, verse 5. John 15, 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, right, dwells in the sphere of my love, and I in him, my words dwelling deeply in your heart, he bears much fruit. Now it's time to ask a question, a basic question. 
Fruit is clearly the outcome here, but we have to understand what it is. What is the fruit that Jesus is speaking about throughout this illustration? Now, he doesn't exactly explicitly state it. He just says fruit. But what he does do, as it were, is provide several clues to what it is. And so if you're listening to him, you'll pick up on what he's talking about because of the clues, the inferences that he leaves. Look at verse 7. I'm going to show you this. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, what's the outcome? What, as it were, is the fruit? Right. Whatever, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Hmm. That's one of the outcomes. You bear much fruit. And guess what? Part of that fruit is what? Answered prayer. One fruit of abiding is answered prayer. So while he doesn't come right out and make the equation, he certainly gets you to the point where you say, oh, I see. I've been paying attention. I've been, he's been talking about abiding in him and him abiding in us. And there's fruit. And here we see it directly. One fruit is answered prayer. Jesus talked about this already in his upper room's teachings back in chapter 14. And I'd like you to go there. John chapter 14, verse 13. All right. It talks about the same thing. Notice John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Now, he's talking to the disciples, right? And he's saying, asking in his name. And we saw that you have to learn a lot of the word of God before you can be confident that your prayer really is in the name of Christ, meaning according to his thinking. That I will do so that the Father, notice the reason here, so that the Father may be what? Glorified. The Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And one of the pieces of fruit, as it were, one of the, part of the nature of the fruit is answered prayer. We're going to see this later on in chapter 16, by the way. So again, one fruit of abiding is answered prayer. And that was the first clue. And we've made the connection. Secondly, look at verse 8. Go back to John 15, 8. John 15, 8. My Father is glorified. There we saw it, and here we have another example, another aspect of the fruit. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So what's the fruit here? Proving. Proving that you are disciples. Right. So whatever this fruit is, we now know not only is it answered prayer, but when they bear it, they prove to be his disciples. Right? They, they are actually in how they live, his disciples, followers. Okay? Remember, we also saw that the last time this word disciple is used in the New Testament is the book of Acts. Remember that? And the reason for that is that, that Paul's going to come on the scene and the, Jesus is going to reveal things that were never were hidden until the moment that Jesus revealed them to Paul, okay? And so, so no longer do we see disciples in connection with believers. Now we see saints and members of the body of Christ. And just re- referring back to our teaching last week. Now, let's, stop, let's just spend a minute now and ask the question, okay, this fruit will have proved that, the, proves that, the, that his member, the members are his really, really his disciples. Prove, by the way, to who? Well, to the world, to people, okay? So earlier, now Jesus talked about the Jews who believed in him. Look at John chapter 8, verse 31. He's going to explain to them how it is that they would come to be his disciples. Look at John eight thirty one. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. I hope you can see that proving to be disciples involves what? First of all, 
continuing in his word. Right? Can you see that? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples. This tells us that another aspect of the fruit is simply continuing in his word. Continuing to hear the word of God. Having it dwell deeply in us and living accordingly. Go to John chapter 13. We're looking at what does it mean to be proven as disciples? Because that, he says, that's, if you bear the fruit I'm talking about, you will prove to be my disciples. We've seen already that it's answered prayer. We've seen, we just saw in chapter 8 that it means continuing in my word. And now look at what it means in chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. A new commandment I give to you. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Verse 35. By this, you all, notice this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. Can you see how that's talking about proving to be his disciples through the observation of people in the world, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? Have love for one another. What's that, therefore? More of the fruit. Right? So you have answered prayer, you have continuing in the word, and you have love for one another. Okay, now that one another isn't the whole world. It's the in this context was the disciples. In our situation, it's members of the body of Christ. That the unifying aspect is loving for one loving one another. We had to care for one another. We had to forgive one another. We had to put the needs of the others was more important than our own. By the way, when we look at love for one another and continuing in His Word. It actually lines up perfectly with our passage this morning. Okay, look at so so again. Let me let me just repeat. The fruit also includes continuing in His Word and loving one another. Continuing in His Word and loving one another. Okay, now go back to our passage one more time. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me, and what? My words abide in you. If you continue in my word, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 8. My Father is glorified by this. By what? That you bear much fruit, and so prove to me my disciples. What does it mean to 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 prove to be his disciples? to continue in his word, and to love one another. Verse 9, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Abide in my love. Well, how do we do that? Verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Notice that that's plural. Okay, seems a little intimidating. Right? What is it? What? All his commandments? How do I do that? Right? How do I do that? Well, you know, in other places, Jesus said, to him, Jesus said when somebody asked him about, you know, how do, I, how, do, I think, how do I get into heaven? Right? He says, listen, you know, there are these different commandments in the law. But then he says, all of it can be summed up. Remember that? In just two things. Right? Love God with all your mind, heart. Soul and strength, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so it's all summed up in one. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment. Notice, if you keep my commandments, verse 10, you'll abide in my love. That's how we abide in the love of Jesus Christ. And then he says, this is it. This is my commandment. What? That you love one another. See how it all ties together? To continue in my word and love one another. All right. So what do we have? Well, we have continuing in his word, loving one another, answered prayer, and then verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, so then what? My joy may be in you, and your joy may be made full. So as it were, the crowning aspect of the fruit 
is the fact that the vine produces ultimately joy. Joy. So we've seen four elements of what it means to bear fruit. First one is summing up now. Answered prayer. Right? Answered prayer. Second one, continuing in his word. This is answering the question, what does Jesus mean by bearing fruit? First, answered prayer. Second, continuing in his word. Third, loving one another. Right? Answered prayer, continuing in his word, loving. This is all fruit that comes from abiding in the vine and the vine vine abiding in us. Continuing in his word, have it dwell deeply, abide in the circle of his love. And then finally, joy. Joy. That's what he means by bearing fruit. Think about that. Notice what it says. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Answered prayer. We're supposed to pray. And as we grow in understanding of the thinking of Christ, right, we can pray in his name. And then those prayers are answered. That's the first aspect of the fruit. Continuing in his word. Okay, loving one another and joy. By the way, three out of the four are things that are happening, as it were, in us and sort of privately, right, answered prayer, not, okay, continuing in his word. And then three, loving one another. And you see, that's the one that's observable, right? That's the one, by the way, that, that is, we enter into an activity, right? Thinking about someone's needs ahead of my own, forgiving one another, laying down my life for the other, right? If someone's in need, I give freely, all those things. So that loving one another, it really talks about how we ought to treat one another as members of the body of Christ. And then finally, you sum it all up. When you have a life where you're seeing answered prayer, you continue in his word so you get to know him better and better. You understand that, that his command to us, the obedience to him, is loving one another. And then you put all that together and you end up in joy. It's a great formula. Jesus is divine. And the branch that abides in Jesus bears the fruit of joy. Answered prayer, continuing in his word, loving one another, and joy. I want to end up this morning, one more passage. I know I'm running a little over. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. What does it mean for members of the body of Christ? After the resurrection, Jesus is in heaven, right? Remember, he sends down the Spirit. And now we have saints, Right? Members of the body of Christ. Members of one another. And now, since the Spirit dwells in our hearts, guess what? He's the one that produces the fruit for the church-age believer. For the body of Christ. And I want you just to just notice what that fruit is. Galatians five twenty-two to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Wasn't that the third element? And then what? Joy. That's the last one. Okay, so I hope you can see the connection now between what Jesus is teaching the disciples and our life as members of the body of Christ. And of course, it goes on, right? Peace, patience, kindness. See, now that's having to do with how do you love one another, right? Peace, you reconcile. Patient with one another. Be kind to one another. Patient, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us and so forth. All right, so we end up in the church, on resurrection ground, and we produce the fruit by means of the Spirit. But, it's, but there's, a, there's sort of the same elements that we see in chapter 15 for the disciples in terms of loving one another and joy. All right, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning for taking us on a journey to understand what it means to abide in Christ and to have him abide in us. And that journey, we've also walked through what it means to bear fruit. And we also understand now that we see that element of fruit in our own lives as members of the body of Christ. So, Father, help us to, now that we understand more of this, help us to continue to do what it is that we're called to do, right? Which is to remain in the vine, which is to allow the Spirit to work in our lives, walk by means of the Spirit, and we won't carry out the desires of the flesh, 
and he's producing in us the fruit that you are looking for the believers, the members of the body of Christ to bear. We thank you for all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, reminder, Bible study this Thursday, 6.30. Thursday at 6.30. We are going to have a Q&A this week, so be prepared with questions. If you really want to be kind to me, you'll send them to me ahead of time. All right, so there's no surprises. Don't worry about it if you can't. Right, you just bring them with you. Sometimes, by the way, often what happens, by the way, is nobody wants to go first, right? So then somebody has the courage to go first, and then all of a sudden that stimulates questions in, in other people. It's funny how that works. So again, it's on the Gospel of John as well as the book of Isaiah. I want, you know, those are the studies we're doing. Have the questions come from those two studies. The idea is I know that I give you information, and then I know that there's questions about it. Whether or not you can remember them is another, another case in point. We had a great question last week, Thursday, in our Bible study. Um, it's causing me to do a lot of work to answer it, okay? That's the way it's supposed to be. All right. All right, let's just close by practicing once again what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Gospel of Jesus Christ begins with the fact that all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? So an unbeliever has to be convicted of that fact and understand that the standard is righteousness and that the alternative is judgment. So that's the picture of the unbeliever. The Holy Spirit is working on them to understand those principles. The gospel now comes along and provides the answer. The answer is, you're a sinner, but Christ came. He died for your sins. That's the, now, it sounds like bad news to have somebody die, and particularly the way he did, but it's actually the greatest news possible because the solution to your sins was provided 2,000 years ago by the death of the perfect Son of God who bore your sins in his body. He was buried. On the third day, he was raised from the dead by God the Father so that all could see that he is who he said he was, that he is God in the flesh. And he's raised from the dead by the Father. By the way, that means that is an indication that when you believe God declares you perfectly righteous, right? And then simply now, this is the thing that people don't necessarily understand or forget about, and that is all you got to do is believe that good news. All you got to do is believe, you know what, I'm a sinner, but Christ died for my sins. In his body, they were put away. The Father judged sin in the body of Jesus Christ. He was raised from the dead. I believe those things, and I am born again and saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. All right, let's close one more time. Father, thank you this morning for everything that we've received. Thank you, Father, for the fullness of your word. Help us now, by means of the Holy Spirit, to live out what it is that you've designed us to. And we know that that's what you mean by bearing fruit, that love, that joy, that peace. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.